Why does tolerance seem to only go in one direction? And why is dysfunction being normalized and, and honestly celebrated? How did violence and division come to be considered good and righteous? Join us today as we discuss those questions and more with Noel Maring, author of the book, Awake, Not Woke, a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology. I'm Father Dave Pavanka, and I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka, and I'm president of Franciscan University of Steubenville, and we're talking today about being awake but not woke. I'm joined by our panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, who's a professor of systematic theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon Professor of Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization here at Franciscan. And we're pleased to welcome today our special guest, Noel Maring. Noel is a fellow at the Ethics and Public Center Policy Center, an editor of theologyofhome.com, the mother of six, and a prolific author. Today we'll be discussing her book, Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. Welcome. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. It's just such a pleasure. Um, why did you write this book? The simple answer is I wrote the book because I saw that this was a movement that was harming people, and particularly mm. the people that it most claimed to want to help. Uh, and I and particularly noticed that it was seeding, finding its way into the church, uh, both Christian within, amongst Protestants and Catholics. Uh, and, and I think for good reason, because people, you know, we want to be compassionate people, and we see suffering, and we want to have the correct response. And I, I saw Christians really grappling on what, the, uh, about what that response should look like. And the woke movement offers a, a pathway. Say, so if, if you're compassionate, this is how you work out your compassion. This is how you actually help people. But it seemed to me that it was doing the exact opposite of, what that, of, of that promise. Uh, and along the way was creating a society that was far less merciful than what it could be. Um, that there was a harshness that was being introduced, a militancy. Uh, and so it, it seemed to me that I, I had started writing articles about the movement somewhere around 2018. And then after doing that for a while, it just occurred to me that, that okay. this is something that could be dealt with more comprehensively. Okay, maybe define our terms for us. We've all heard the word woke, but what does it mean? I think the neutral uh, way to define it, the way maybe that a woke person would say define it, is that it's, it's a state of being alert and attuned to the various layers of oppression in society, <laughs> to identifying yeah. them and then becoming an activist to change them. Um, but if you, uh, the genealogy of the movement is really flows from a neo-Marxism combined with neo-Freudianism and with a powder keg of postmodernism in there, <laughs> uh, along with some other it's influences. Quite a mix. Yeah, yeah, it's quite but, a but mix. it's all grounded in a kind of nihilism. It is. It's a, I think at its core is a, a movement of nihilism, that our bodies are meaningless, that there's no grand meaning to our, our lives, there's no, we have no purpose, no design, yeah. no past, no future. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the defining theme is the oppression that we are all bedeviled by. That's right. So the oppression extends from being one of class warfare, which it started yeah. with, and with the woke movement, it has broadened it into being sure. defining some opposition along gender, class, sexuality. Well, the, the book itself is wonderfully provocative, but I must say the cover is really inspired. Oh, yeah. And the you. title that uh, you seized upon is, is terrific. Yeah. I, I noticed that Patrick Coffin 
wrote one of the, uh, the puffs, and his endorsement uh, was really stunning, uh, that you expose the dark heart of uh, Wokery. Right, right, Wokery, yeah. <laughs> he used to be a, a part of this, uh, this program oh, okay. years ago. Oh, yeah. wow. Also from California. He is. He's an old friend of mine. I've known him for I see. over a decade. Yeah. Well, you certainly have put your MA in philosophy to good use. You know, you're studying here back in the 90s, but you have uh, diagnosed cancel culture in a way that goes to the very roots. And, you know, when you pinpoint Marxism, neo-Marxism, but also Freud, I think then suddenly we realize, okay, it's critical race theory, but it's also kind of critical gender theory. And it explains so much of the tsunami of cancel culture, where everybody is sort of in the grip of a fear of, how do I express myself if I'm not identified, if I don't define myself in terms of the list of grievances that really pinpoint my oppressors. And I, I think this is one of the best books I've ever read to really uh, map the landscape. You know, and especially what you do, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but with the Frankfurt School. Yeah. You know, back in 1933, 1934, with the Hitler rise, you know, they, they basically export themselves to Columbia and to New York City and to, you know, and, and it's a frightful thing, although it goes almost entirely unnoticed on most academic radars for literally decades until by the time you get to the 60s and 70s, it accounts for, you know, what was under the surface of the hippie, you know, and the, uh, the subversive, you know, movements then as well. So I, I just want to say thank you and congratulations for this, but also, as I was saying to you the other day, this is a book that has to get into the hands of a whole generation of Catholics. Otherwise, I think we just find ourselves somewhat bewildered, like, you know, why don't people hear our appeal to common sense. No, I agree, Scott, that that was really, as I was reading the book, it was, I, I was filled with a sense of gratitude because you're able to express and unpack for me. It's, it's this topic, it's, I don't know, it's very loose and trying to be able to define it. And, and where, do you, where do you see it? You see it everywhere, but you, you pinpoint, you bring it, you make points clear that allow, I think, me to be able to speak more eloquently about it, but also more critically about it. And, and yeah. I thought well, it The title thing. itself, I think, is a marvelous point of, of entry. It, it's sort of emblematic of what follows. Uh, to be woke is not to be awake. Right. If you are awake, then you are able to disarm wokery because you see things as they are. Yeah. I mean, Luigi Giussani, when, when he introduces his book, The Religious Sense, describes reason as the eye wide open upon mm. this this thing, reality, you take it in greedily. I, I want to know what's the meaning of everything. Wokery is not interested in that. They're interested in power and shutting everybody down. Yeah, it's but a true to type ideology in the sense that it takes partial truths, points to real things that are real, and then totalizes that partial truth. And in that totalization, it becomes a lie. And as Catholics, we're called to think with the whole fullness of reality, scientific reality, philosophical principles, theological reality, the reality of the human person. Uh, and so that, I think, is that, that's the contrast between awake and woke. And I think your definition at the beginning was charitable and, and honest in that yeah. there, is, um, there is a desire for compassion. There is a so all of that, and they tap into that, and then they take you to a step or a bridge too far. But just speak to that, that, that recognition that um, being compassionate, being kind, but how that becomes twisted and ultimately leads to, you say, uh, a religion, almost making this a religion. 
Yeah, I think it really is a manipulate. It takes those good instincts and ma manipulates them, um, and in a way that becomes rather coercive. And says if you don't adopt the ideological presuppositions as, and become an activist in the manner in which we demand you to, then you're not actually being a compassionate person. So there leaves no daylight between that instinct to be compassionate and then how you ought to enact that. But it but it really is harmful in the way that it redefines the human person. Uh, we would define the human person as being you know a rational animal. Um, it's it made in the image and likeness of God. So we're defined in relationship to love himself with right. a, 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 a mission to go spread the good news to people that they are loved. Yeah. And the woke movement inverts that definition where we're defined not by the love of God, but by the hatred of society, by the oppression of society. Yeah. And that our freedom is found in uh, uh, reversing those power dynamics, yeah. but also in um, liberating ourselves from the, the bound of the moral law. That right. we have to become transgressive in a certain way in order to really free ourselves. Uh, and that gives us a, inver uh, a contra mission that it, rather than a, they spread the good news to people that they are loved, but rather we have to awaken their consciousness right. that they are hated. This, uh, this transgressive uh, impulse has been around for a long time, yeah. but wokery has only recently uh, emerged as a phenomenon. Now we have a name, a name and a sign right, right, right. to the pathology. I, I, I don't know if uh, you ever heard of Whitaker Chambers, but uh, mm -hmm. he once reviewed a book by Ayn Rand mm -hmm. called Atlas Shrugged yep. in the late 1950s, and he said, on almost every page of this novel, you can hear the words, go to a gas chamber. Mm -hmm. and, and Rand practiced a kind of rhetorical totalism. I mean, that, that phrase you used of totalizing mm -hmm. this particular aspect, of ideologizing it, I mean, that has the echo of, of the tyrant. If you don't submit and accept everything I say, yeah. this thoroughgoing critique of, of the nuclear family, then we have a gas chamber for you. That's right. You can't persuade because you're not, it's not about the truth. And so you can't persuade by, through reason. You have to coerce and force. I remember a situation when I was actually in seminary a while ago, and I was having a conversation with a woman about the church and, and how oppressed she was saying, how oppressive the church is and awful. And I said, you know, my mother has been involved in the church her whole life, and she loves the church, and she doesn't feel oppressed. And her response was, I'll bet you if I spent some time with her, I could make her feel oppressed. <laughs> Oh my! Head. Yeah, you're right. but isn't that Raised what you're saying? Right, right, right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Is that, yeah. is that rather than what is true, it's it's the oppression and the. You being, think you're happy, right, but right, you're actually right. miserable. You're not like really. My job is to right. wake yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so fitting that you begin the book by tracing it back to the garden. You know, because yeah. this woke ideology would practically be inconceivable apart from Christianity, apart from the mercy and the compassion of Christ, apart from social justice that the church brought into the Roman Empire. You know, and here it is in the garden. God has made man in his image and likeness. And what does the devil do? Well, he counterfeits that by saying, you shall be like God. Well, you know, that's false freedom. But the fact that God makes us in his image and likeness gives us the truth of ourselves as persons, as you point out. But the truth is the only path to true freedom. And freedom is the only way to, to love. And so when you succumb to wanting to be like God, but without God, you know, it sets into motion something that is almost seismic in its measurements. You know, and it ends up, of course, being a lot like Judas, who protests out of the outrage and the oppression of the alabaster jar, which is poured out for the anointing of Jesus. This could have been given to the poor. What, in fact, it really is his own thievery that is emerging in this kind of violent way. And, and, and when you see that, you're like, how do you diagnose something that is not only so multi-causal, but it has countless symptoms too, especially in our culture today. 
And I, I just, I, I think that we have to recognize that apart from counterfeiting and corrupting Christianity, this sort of thing is, is really not, it's not comprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's not just, you spend a lot of time how it is against the traditional family, about how it's, it's attacking that. So maybe speak to that on how this whole movement, ideology, religion is really at the heart of it, is, is creating a, and destroying the, the family, the traditional family. Yeah, no, I think the family and the faith really are the two greatest obstacles to this sort of cultural revolution. Um, the family in particular is a, your first introduction to the fact that you are loved in a way that is unique and irreplaceable, that you are an irreplaceable person. And I, I talk about naming in there, that, that you know, that's so symbolic, that you are, you are this person. You're not just one in a series, you're, you're, the, you're, you're a unique um, and a d person with dignity and created out of love, for love. Uh, and the movement, you know, the, sees that type of belonging and wants instead to, to uh, exacerbate wounds in society. So insofar as you can dismantle the family, you create a society full of people wounded. Because revolution doesn't come from a whole human beings who are healthy and, yeah. and feel a sense of belonging right. and feel that they're loved and that, they're, that fatherhood is good and motherhood is good and um, are introduced to the love yeah. of God through that avenue. It comes from a society of people who are wounded. Um, and looking for something that they were from they, they were deprived of, yeah. uh, and then you you seek out belonging in new ways, and so you're you're find, you're looking for identity in a new way, a fabricated way, and here comes a movement saying this is who you are. You're identified by your sin. You're identified by um, the the victimhood that you find in the oppression in society. Um, and you belong, but it's like the belonging in a gang. You know, it's so yeah. you, you have a sense of belonging, a sense of loyalty. Someone's protecting you, but you're, it's built on complicity. It's built on you know. There's a it's it's mimics family, but it's like a counterfeit version. And, and then once you get into the gang, you can't really get out. You're yeah. trapped. That woman, that, that's a, a very horrible story that you told us. I agree. The woman who said, "Look, yeah. just give me a few minutes I could, with your yeah. mother, yeah. and I'll change the yeah. universe." Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of of, of of gender bending. I mean, if we just talk to this man long enough, we might be able to persuade him that really his gender is is female. That's right. It's, I always think that you know, with the introduction of all of this gender radical gender theory in schools in younger and younger grades. Are, they're not responding to a demand, they're creating a demand, right, right. you know, by seeding these ideas. And that's, that's very much part of the revolution. I mean, your mother is part not wounded, but give us a few yeah. minutes and we'll inflict a few. But I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That illustrates the power of words that they recognize and that you also treat well. You know, you think of God the Father and who is his son, the word, the eternal word. And who is, you know, who is Satan? He's the father of lies. He's the anti-father. And so from the beginning, he knows the power of words. And he disrupts the family in its nucleus with marriage between you know, our first parents. And the curse that is imposed in Genesis 3 involves the man and his domination of the wife and the wife and her manipulation mm -hmm. of the husband. And it's like, what a potent formula that is for explosiveness, you know? And at the same time, you see that the word of the devil, which is the lie about freedom, is something that is like domino effect mm -hmm. because you know just give me enough time with mm -hmm. her mm -hmm. and the power of words can basically you know uh, mask the Lord's mercy and unmask all of our wounds and kind of tap into that yeah. in a way that is frightful. Yeah, it, teaching us to reframe how we see all of reality where yes. instead of seeing the love between my husband and myself, I instead tr start training myself to see an oppression there or a domination. Right, right. Um, and that's not to say that there can't be unhealthy you know, situations, there, there for cer certainly. But, but that's but your point is that you take a small bit and then expand that yeah. out to create everything, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a reframing in a way that's very toxic. And, and you know, we, we were talking the other, the other day about how um, you know, th 
it's one thing to say, um, you know, there's a d diagnosis, this is something wrong in society. It's another thing to start seeding into our minds, into our hearts, a, a, a disposition to seek out ways in which we can accuse other people, right. ways in which we can see where other people are wrong, and start nitpicking, you know, until it's really pulling at the fabric of society until you tear it apart. And that really is the goal. And it's hard to wrap our minds around because it seems so radical, but it's right. revolutionary. I think that's important is that as you were talking about that, I said, you want to be careful pulling it because it may tear it and that's, but yeah. that's their actual goal. We are just getting started on a topic. So stay with us as Franciscan University Presents will continue. Now presenting other voices from Franciscan University of Steubenville. In a strategic manner, when you're attacking a society and you're trying to change it, you go to the base, and the base of that society is the family, right? So when we're talking about the family and uh, trying to find a solution to help the modern family, well, we must look to the paradigm. As us Christians individually, we look to Christ as a paradigm. We must look to the Holy Family as a paradigm. Fathers following the image of St. Joseph and mothers the image of Mary. And um, who better to follow? Parents have a right, especially if they're paying tax dollars, to know what their kids are learning and to know and have a right to say, my kids should not be allowed to know this. This should come from either me or I don't want them to know it at all. And parents should get involved with that. If we claim this is a democracy, then get involved with it. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about being awake, but not woke. One of the difficulties I've had in just having conversations is it seems like things, that words, you use the word, you're talking about words and the power of words. It seems like words that we've grown up with our whole life don't mean anything anymore or mean something different to this group. So why is wokery so opposed to reason and rational thought and, and basic human biology? How has that gotten so confused in that? Yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, to Scott's point, it really is an anti-logos movement, right. um, and reason has to fall by the wayside. Reason to reason is to is that's the activity of the free man, the person who can, who's seeking out truth. And it's not a movement that's seeking truth; that uh, rather it's seeking power, right. and sees uh, evaluates all relationships, all institutions, all dynamics, all uh, all uh, friendships through a lens of power. Uh, and so reason falls by the wayside and it re is replaced by our will. And it's really destructive in that way because mm -hmm. if we can no longer reason together, we can't think together, then all that's left is vying you know, various factions vying for, vying for power. Um, and biology as well, I talk about in the, one of the chapters about, um, you know, the, there's a real connection between reason and, um, and, and human nature. And totalitarian um, ideologies always have to destabilize us at our core, and that's by destabilizing any sense of a stable human nature. Mm -hmm. And we see that pretty clearly in the radical transgender movement that's happening now, and uh, what is a woman, what is a man. This is destabilizing us to the very core of our personhood. So it's, 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 it destabilizes us on a level of friendship, and level of society, but also in Yeah, it's not only, it's, it's no longer at the level of behavior, but it becomes a function of being ontology. That's right. There is no there, there. What you think is a woman is really a social construct, yeah, I, I, and it's negotiable. It's yeah. an identity without an essence. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You know, I worked on a project years ago called Politicizing the Bible, trying to understand how people twisted the Word of God to make it really about competing political ideologies. That's what authorship ends up mm. being. 
And what I discovered was that after the glorious 13th century with Aquinas and Bonaventure teaching down the hall in the University of Paris, you have the emergence of what becomes proudly known as the Via Moderna, the modern way. Marsilius of Padua, Occam. Occam famously traces back to God's own being this idea of will, not intellect. And so it's the will of God. He could have crucified a donkey to atone for sin. He could have made murder meritorious behavior. That everything that comes from God is the expression of his own divine freedom and an arbitrary power. Well, you know, if you become like the one you worship, you back yourself into a voluntarism that certainly enslaved Luther, I think. He said, I'm nothing if I'm not an alchemist. But I, I think if you trace this down, you realize that, you know, the world is ruled by men in the grave whose thoughts transform society in a way that was imperceptible and then profoundly radical. And the end result is revolution. You know, you look at, and I hate to say this, but as a former evangelical who was devoted to Luther, it really was a revolt of the theologians and the intellectuals against the living tradition, the sacraments, the saints. And then there's a philosophical, a political, a scientific revolution. But this is like all of the above. It is the cumulative force of Marx, Freud, Darwin, Nietzsche, Hegel, and you're like, this concoction had to have originated in infernal regions. And as Catholics, we've got to wake up and recognize the fact that we don't get to choose our times. We don't get to choose our heresies. We have to confront the errors of our day for the sake of our kids and our grandkids. And again, that's what you've done here, and that's why I was telling the other day, without flattering you, this needs to be a required text in a whole lot of courses. I'm searching through my syllabi to figure out how to get people to read this. And perhaps another book will come along that's better, but until that happens, <laughs> let's, you know, let's appeal to people to read this sort of thing. Yeah, really at the heart of your, your message is a defense of the word, the centrality of logos. In the beginning was thought, reason, noose, mind, God, ground, truth. Somebody said in the beginning was the word and the word became hydrogen gas. Uh, I mean, that would be the woke uh, alternative mm -hmm. and we have to resist it with, with all the power of, of mind and heart. I, I was struck by the example that, that you gave, Scott, about uh, what happened in the garden. You know, as a result, in the post-Edenic world, man is now inclined to lord it over his woman. I mean, that's an abuse, mm -hmm. an abuse of something that ought to be good. Wokery, I, I think, would displace that and say, this lording it over the other is systemic, it's intrinsic. This is exactly what men do anyway, by definition. So we have to abolish the category of, of male and female and, and just make these negotiable. Um, these, these are things that we can sort of uh, parlay in different ways depending on whim or the desire for power. And that's really scary, that's frightening. It is, and it makes us more, so much more easily controlled. Because if I have to question whether or not I can access reality at all, even the most fundamental reality as uh, womanhood and what is a woman, what is a man, if I'm for being for told to, that I can access that reality, then I need a shepherd, some woke shepherd, to tell me how to think. You know, there was a CNN journalist that wrote recently, um, we, there's no scientific consensus on how to determine if a baby at birth is a boy or a girl. And that state, it just asserted okay, that. And if you believe that, I mean, everything. Everything's up for grabs. You, and, and so you have to find someone to tell you what to think then. But the danger is 
that we can easily back ourselves into a shouting match. Yeah. Because it's like, how do you get through to people who are shouting at you? You shout back. Right. Well, that again is domination and manipulation fueling the fire. Or, so let's put it out by dousing it with gasoline. Or you bring a five-year-old into the conversation. <laughs> I remember my, my brother and I were having this conversation about the number of genders there is right now. My nephew was in the backseat of the car. We weren't aware that he was paying attention. And he says to me, Uncle Dave, this is stupid. Right? <laughs> so you bring a five-year-old that can look at this and say, this just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And yet, it, it, in, it's infiltrating, I think, the academy. I mean, in the I, kindergarten. Yes, too. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Five-year-olds might not be saying that in <laughs> yeah, five yeah, or yeah, ten yeah, years. That's right, that's right. And, you know, you also have part three, indoctrination, where you identify St. Thomas Aquinas as a model. And, you know, I'm grateful that it is a woman writing this because otherwise it could come off sure, like sure. intellectual domination. But what would Aquinas do? He would start off by identifying his opponent's position mm -hmm. and then outlining all of the arguments for the opponent's position. And oftentimes he would do a better job than his opponent at stating the arguments and come up with some that his opponent hadn't even thought of. And at that point, that's really disarming. And I think that's an invitation for us instead of just sim simply shouting back that stupid, although there's a place and a time. For a five-year-old. Five yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I really believe that we have got to be patient and wait upon the Lord, but also enter into friendships as much as it's possible with people who really identify themselves as being oppressed and hear them if they're willing to let us and say, okay, let's just peel back the layers and let's just see. And I think if they can hear us stating what Aquinas might do, and that is, here are the arguments. Okay, yeah. And that's what you enable your readers to do, to actually identify the, the roots in terms of Adorno and Habermas and, and uh, uh, Reich and yeah. Marcuse and others. And, and I, I think it's important for us to name the issues yeah. and not just to you know, to exercise, to exercise the demon. You know, things are not entirely hopeless. Uh, we do have this one saving grace that for the woke people to pull off this revolution, they have to lie. They have to uh, counterfeit the truth. For example, the Biden administration has to say, this is gender affirming therapy. That's a euphemism for chemical castration. But nobody wants, nobody wants to put into law uh, legislation that enshrines the castration of mutilating boys children and yeah. girls. I mean, what does that has nothing to commend? So you lie about it. So I mean, hypocrisy uh, is what we need. That's the vice. I mean, that's the that's the homage vice pays virtue. So we have to pretend that what we're doing is really good for you. So if we can disabuse people of that illusion, that mythology, I, I think we've got a, a leg up. We have an edge. We might be able to win this. I think that's right. I think there's two errors we can fall into. One is to think that it's a political movement, and so we, as Christians, just need to stay out of it. Smash. And the other error is that we become a mere version of an ideal ideology, that we, where we start to hate the person espousing the ideology rather than hating the ideology and loving the person. And it really is through friendship, I think, is a great point because, um, you know, they there needs to be a humanity there. Uh, in a way in which they can see that their arguments are not merely arguments to to the other person, but rather that they are not they, there's someone there who who wants the best for them, truly wants the best for them. Right, and I think that you, you do a good job at that. Is that they're able to identify things. We, we do not live in a perfect society, and, and everything is not as it ought to be. And that they draw that out, and then they bring us again to conclusions that, that, that we're not going to go to. You spend quite a bit of time about the sexualization of children, and I thought that was so troubling and so. 
Maybe speak to that. That was the hardest part of yeah, the book I can't imagine. to write, for yeah. sure. Um, you know, the thing that was surprising to me is how much the sexualization of children is not a, a bug of the movement; it's a feature. That that is, in, it's a principle of the movement. Right. That insofar as they are innocent of, you know, adult sexuality, different lifestyles, different, you know, whatever you want to call it, transgressive behavior. Their innocence is perpetuating a dominance of a normativity in, in the culture that they have has to be they have to be disabused of that innocence, like the five-year-old. Insofar as he knows the simple reality of, of, what, is, of what is true, uh, he's he's furthering a perpetuating he just know. A, a norm, yeah, yeah. Right. right? And so and so there has to be a sexualization of children because the, well, for one thing, they don't see anything wrong with that. That it's a Freudian a concept that children are born polymorphously perverse, and right. that it is yeah. a process of dying to ourselves in a, in a, not in the Christian sense, but in, in a repressive sense that we start yeah. adopting and uh, conforming to the sexual normativity in society. Yeah. And then, so this is why you see, you know, uh, transgender story hours and uh, radical gender ideology in kindergarten, you know, and, and, and really pornographic books in, in schools now. Um, it, it, that it really is a corruption of innocence because innocence for the movement is dominance. Right. The triumph of the id, yeah, I think is what we're seeing. And it, once it's harnessed to political power, uh, then it's all over. The game is up. Yeah. Yeah, the idea that innocence and purity and chastity leave the mind open to truth, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the, the beauty, that's right. Mm -hmm. and, and so if you can pervert children, you know, and again, not just by telling stories and not just by showing them pictures, but by getting them to experiment. Again, that's not a secondary aspect, that's a feature, that's a goal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's finally coming out, you know, it's like the gloves are coming off and you're realizing this is really about perverting children and using children, dominating them, and it's going to be leading us back to the perversions of ancient Greece yeah. with uh, pedophilia and this sort of thing. And so, you know, abolishing heteronormativity, male and female, in the name of this polymorphous thing, it, uh, it, even parents who might be sympathetic mm -hmm. to woke ideology, I think are still susceptible to the light of reason on this point. Yeah. Yeah, well, I also, I think the weight of self-interest, I, I think of the example, really a travesty, that this guy who now pretends to be a woman and he wins all of the swimming contests. Mm -hmm. And the women, for some reason, remain passive. But I'm sure that internally they resent uh, and recoil before this because it's perfectly obvious this is a guy. He's not a girl. That's why he's winning. But nobody is willing to say so. And these are Ivy League students. That's right. How could they be so obtuse and so craven? Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, the transgender movement furthers the revolution more than feminism does. And right. so that's going to trump feminism because yeah. it's disrupting the binary of gender. Right. And that's a more progressive place to be. But I wonder if, if we're seeing a little bit those two groups disagreeing that's with right. each other. Which, how is that going to play out? You spoke yeah. Well, I don't, there's some feminists who have, have spoken out. Absolutely. And, yeah, and it's a, they've had a battle. I, I just think that the, the movement is going to have to keep siding with a more progressive. And that's, you know, that's the, the saddest part is that it, it, it eats its own. Yeah. You know, you you think you can't get progressive enough, and, and, and the, you want to be the you don't want to be the last one to progress. So, so it, it, there's no limiting principle principle there. Yeah. It hasten it's hastening the revolution. It, it becomes so ludicrous that there was just a the other day Levine, who's on mm -hmm. Biden's cabinet, was just nominated Woman of the Year for something. That's right. Yes. 
Well, that's a thing. It wasn't so. It's just. Yeah. It's just crazy. The, it, the, it, the most vulnerable society are the ones who are, are harmed by eradicating a, a standard of nature, a standard of reason. Right. Women and, and didn't the Babylon Bee come out with uh, the statement, yeah. "Here is the man of the year"? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and got silenced. The so parody is becoming more and more difficult. Very high. <laughs> it's it a criminal offense. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be right back with more. Uh, Franciscan University presents. Please stay with us. The woke culture thrives upon lies. We need to confront that with the truth. Now Aquinas tells us the truth is the conforming of the mind to the thing, to reality. Right? We need to get back to reality. Largely in our modern world, we've been cut off from reality. Right? We live in an artificial world of social media and the 24-hour news cycle uh, without human community or meaningful interactions or anything like that. So ultimately, we need to get back to that. We need to get off our phones, get off the news, get outside, meet real people in real places. What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? A place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word, it's a discovery. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, which we record here at the Com Arts Studio at Franciscan University. Our students are operating the cameras and all the equipment. Our theology professors, Dr. Martin and Dr. Hahn, and I are discussing being awake, not woke, with Noel Maring. You spend quite a bit of time talking about uh, the education system. One of the lines you said is that our, our teachers are becoming activists and, and how they've infiltrated that. I, actually, I think we saw that live out in front of us in Virginia mm -hmm. this, this last fall. Yeah, so maybe speak to that. And, and the other is, yeah, how, how does a parent help them? How is a parent supposed to be engaged in this? Yeah, so the, the education system has really been a key way of seeding revolution in the West. So the Frankfurt School um, men understood that revolution was not going to be made, uh, was not inevitable, that people wouldn't just rise up, that we had to seed revolution in through the multiple channels in society, through um, the sexual revolution, through our education system, through our media, through Hollywood, through pop culture, through politics. But the education system was really key. Uh, and, and what happened is a lot of the revolutionaries from the 60s, they said, well, let's just go into K-12, through into K-12. They became um, teachers of teachers. Uh, got uh, Tony seats at you know, prestigious teachers colleges and then disseminated a revolutionary pedagogies throughout um, America through this, this, these uh, establishments. Uh, and I think we're seeing that more and more now with the, with the um, parent uh, school board meetings, <laughs> that parents have clued into this, you know, partially because of COVID, partially because there's been a, an escalation of the activism. Uh, and they're realizing their teachers are not there to, to uh, train kids and to teach them how to think, but rather what to think and how to become activists. And uh, that seeding that, uh, that oppression collectivist mindset and also transgression right. into their education in ways that I don't think we were aware of that was happening no. and more and more are becoming aware. In fact, your treatment of this, I think, is one of the most important aspects of the book because I think we assume that dealing with educators who are activists is like mowing the law, just kind of trimming them down to size. You point out that the roots go back to the early 30s when the single most influential educator of educators, John Dewey, is the one 
who imported the Frankfurt School because, you know, in the, in the name of pragmatism, Dewey was educating approximately one-third of the teachers of America back in the 30s and 40s. And he famously said near the end of his life that the family is the single most anti-democratic institution mm. in our society. Right. Well, that's not a neutral claim. <laughs> I mean, that is weaponizing an ideology in the name of pragmatism. So we're not talking about cutting the lawn. We're talking about digging up roots and pulling weeds out that might be, you know, several feet deep. And I, and I think that, again, is a call to action on the part of parents not only to speak out at school boards, but to send their kids in a highly selective way to colleges and universities where this sort of thing is not going to seep into their minds because I've lost track of the number of kids mm -hmm. whose parents, you know, or the number of parents I've spoken to whose kids are lost and seemingly gone forever. That's right. I hear from parents all the time, and one of the things they say is, I sent my child to college, and now they sort of hate me, or they hate everything yeah, I taught right. them to believe. And it's even Catholic schools, yeah, it's yeah. profoundly subversive um, yeah. and, and dangerous. And the most recent flashpoint, I think, would be what had happened in the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. I mean, Governor DeSantis signs into law a bill that seems pretty commonsensical. You don't want to tell four-year-olds about sex change operations. I mean, what's wrong with that? Who could object to that? Well, Disney. almost everybody does. Yeah. Disney, the president, everyone in between, the whole woke ideology. I mean, this is where we are. This is where things have, 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 have brought us uh, to. And where do we go from here? I think Governor DeSantis is giving us an excellent example of just courage and yeah. leadership. And I think we're going to need a lot more of that, just for people to not be bullied by this movement, right. that is, not be afraid to be told that he's not afraid to be told he's a bigot, you know, or a homophobe. Right. Because he said, you know, he just says, well, this is just reasonable, K through, K through third. Yeah. It's not an appropriate time to talk about adult sexuality. One of the things that I think is, is so insidious, and I believe it's in California, and you're there, so correct me, is the whole sexual uh, classes and transgender and gay and all that is actually part of a bullying system. It's part of the bullying curriculum, right. not the sex. So you can't opt out of it in California because it's, they've come in not through the sexual door, but through the bullying and then all those, is that accurate? That yeah, I mean, that's another the manipulation is yeah, that exactly. it's, they, it, it's always posed as an anti-bullying effort. Right. Right. And no one wants to support bullies. You know, that sounds right. like something good and something yeah, we can all support. I don't want my kids to sit through an anti-bullying class. Right, right. that's exactly. the ostensible reason. But the deeper reason, as I talk about in the book, is, is really to, to corrupt the innocence of kids. And to sow the seeds of outrage. Yeah. I mean, that's really what takes time. But I mean, eventually, people who feel like they're oppressed by their parents yeah. are going to lash out. You know, it might take 10 years, but, mm -hmm. and, and this is, I want to say, my favorite part of the book, not surprisingly, is the final part, because that's where you give us hope. Mm -hmm. You have a chapter on the person and rediscovering. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that this has to begin with our children. We have to recognize and affirm them in a way that includes discipline, mm -hmm. but helps them to understand that, look, you know, uh, what they're doing is bullying you. Mm -hmm. You know, in the name of anti-bullying. You also have that chapter on the family. Uh, and we've discussed this, and I, I can't go into it, but it's so important to recognize the natural rootedness of who we are in family relatedness. But then, of course, the city of God, the church, and the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it isn't just like a pietist escape, you know, like, oh, well, I can pray my rosary. Please, we need to do that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, recognize that we're facing darkness, and what we really need to do is not scream at the darkness, but just find as many light switches and flip them on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
There was a, a, a beautiful exchange uh, between Henri de Lubac mm -hmm. and Carol Vatiwa at the time of the Second Vatican Council. And Vatiwa sent a letter to his friend, de Lubac, and said, you know, what we really need is not the, re the repetition of sterile arguments. We need a complete recapitulation of the mystery of the human person, the drama of finite freedom in relation to infinite freedom. I mean, that's what we need. It needs to be embodied and fleshed. Uh, I, not, it's not a syllogism. Yeah. You don't just state it, you show it. A life lived by those who are so steeped in the mystery that they can't help but, but infect the culture that surrounds them. I mean, when people see how attractive and joyful these Christians are, uh, they, they find it uh, contagious. Yeah. I mean, what else is there? Yeah, I, was re I remember being so struck when I first married and we started having children. We have six kids and realizing, you know, this is a life that, uh, according to the culture, should be oppressing me, or I should, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom for so long, and I was homeschooling for a while, and I, re and I realized just through living it, my goodness, this is a life of deep joy, mm -hmm. that my husband is praying every day that he can be as generous as possible with me, and then I'm praying every day that I can be as generous as possible to him, and then we would fail, then we would ask for forgiveness, and then we would begin again. But uh, th that's not a life of oppression, it's a life of deep freedom. Yeah. And, and I'm adventure. just really experiencing yeah. that, that juxtaposition of what the culture tells me and what I'm actually living and what I'm actually experiencing. So I wish that that were more common. I, I must admit that in the first few years of our marriage, I was recapitulating, I was reproducing my, my parents who used mm -hmm. to always mm -hmm. fight, you know, and I never saw friendship growing up. Mm -hmm. I, I respected both of them, but I didn't really respect their marriage. Mm -hmm. And so finally figuring out after five or seven years that Kimberly is not my opponent. Mm. You know, she's my partner, my teammate. Yeah. Then suddenly we, I, I, I discovered this is a friendship that mm. surpasses, I mean, it still takes tons of work even after 42 years. But I, I do believe this is how the best defense is that kind of family offense. Well, yeah. what's going through my mind, Scott, is that you, you and Kimberly will do better together than opposed or apart. And, but isn't that at the heart of the wokery is to try to separate, That's right. to That's not right. to divide. bring together, not to bring together, but to divide. This has just been so great, but what do, what do we say? What do you say to the moms and dads out there that, that hear all of this and feel paralyzed, feel like they're not adequate, feel like they don't have enough? How do, how do you speak to that? How do you help them? I think a large part of the battle is just get, gaining clarity. And that's why I wanted to write the book. It's just because I ha heard so many people saying, there's something wrong with this movement. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I feel like this is not right. And I thought, you know, if we can just understand the roots of it and the, uh, the animating principles behind it, then, we, then we'll feel courage and a, a confidence in opposing it mm -hmm. and resisting it. Uh, so, you know, first of all, it's a spiritual battle, as, as, you, as you were saying. Uh, and I think we need to fight it first and foremost on that level, through our prayer, through our own clo uh, growing closer to Christ. Because if we want to reflect Him in the world, then we have to draw close to Him. Well, we also, I think, have to recognize the stakes. Uh, yeah. We're dealing with powers and principalities. Right. It's Absolutely. not just Absolutely. a political uh, right. contest. It used to be, you know, Democrats, Republicans, they would disagree tactically about how much money should go to building highways. But what's on the agenda now oh, um, yeah. is, is unrecognizable uh, to uh, the generation of our parents. That's right, that's right. We need a political and practical response too. It's, it's you know, spiritual, sure. political, and practical. And I also, I also think, as we were saying earlier, with uh, you know, having, uh, showing joy, that we need to show an embodied vision of what the good life is. Yeah. 
you know, that they've been so successful at that and seeding through magazines, this vision of, you know, the, the, the radical feminist woman, that this is what it is to be a powerful woman. I grew up with those visions and I didn't realize I was looking through a filter of an ideology. Yeah. I just thought, you know, you have to be a boss. You have to, you know, that this is what womanhood exists in, and, and we have to fight our oppression. Yeah. Uh, that it centers that oppression at the core of what it is to be a woman yeah. or, you know, what have you, uh, what, uh, you know, whatever oppressed group we're talking about, mm -hmm. that that oppression is at the core of your being and this and, you, and fighting it, that's how you become powerful. That's what you do in life. Yeah, you, you have to show something different. Mm -hmm. What you are doing, along with Carrie Griff, your good friend, is some of the most important work being done in the Catholic world, but also out in the free world, as long as we are still free. I, I, I must admit that um, at night, I sometimes watch Fox News. Kimberly, I think, enjoys it more than I do. Uh, but both of us find ourselves frustrated by Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson because they seem to want to simply, you know, rewind to the good old days where liberalism and democracy, you know, Reagan and Tip O'Neill yeah. were just good buddies. Mm -hmm. You know, liberals and conservatives disagreed, but they got along. I mean, it's sort of like squeezing toothpaste back into the tube. Mm -hmm. Th that's so far gone. But I dare say if Tucker read this, he would stop acting so shocked and surprised at the incongruities of the woke ideology. He would be able to kind of not only trace this back to the roots, but also show that, well, it isn't just, you know, about restoring democracy and liberalism. It really is thinking through the implications of who we are as persons and how the error is rooted in a complete distortion of individuals, of mm -hmm. persons and freedom. No, well, it, it's really a matter, I think, of recovering our country and the culture. And I think on two fronts we have to move. You quote Leon Cass, uh, whom I really admire. Uh, elsewhere, he, he speaks of, of the wisdom of repugnance. We need to cultivate that. Mm. What they're doing uh, to our children is repugnant. It's stomach turning, it's, it's revolting, and it's intolerable. So we have to move on that front. This can't happen. We will not permit it. But then on the other front, we have to be positive. We have to open up the possibility of a fully human life right. grounded in the grace of, of Jesus Christ. That's right. I mean, that's really what we need. I mean, the Pope, John Paul II, spoke of mutual submission to Christ. It's not the guy who sits uh, in the front of the horse and lords it over his wife who sits uh, in the back seat. They both sit together and they walk together in the direction of, of the Lord. I mean, that's what we need. That's right. It's, it's, it's interesting that the people who, you know, the, the church who is defending spiritual realities is the, the last people standing almost to, to defend natural realities. Right. You know, the, what is a man? What is a woman? And there's something, because they're so connected, you know, insofar as we obscure what a woman is, what a man is, what a marriage is, we obscure a whole host of, of spiritual realities. You know, there's a whole, you know, the, the wedding feast, um, the bride, the bridegroom, you know, the, the, these are All things that we need to understand on a human yeah. level in order to stand up on a spiritual level. Yeah, and, and again, you, you say that in, in the woke is like oh, bride and groom. That's so. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it, yeah. If if they get rid of everything, yeah. uh, a word of hope. Then in the midst of that, a word of hope to mom and dad. And yeah, and you know, I, I think that you're you're we, we can do far more than we think. That our prayer and our efforts to live a happy, virtuous family life, those things go far more than we we believe uh, than we might uh, assume that they go. Sure. Um, and, and also that the human person really longs to live in accord with reality. Every, in the heart of the every person, it cannot be satisfied by ideology. They want a real human way of life. They want real love, real joy, and they want to live in, in truth. Um, and so that, 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 that we can appeal to that innate desire. Right. And I think person. one of the things you're showing us 
uh, in the world, in you and your husband, your families, that's actually possible. Amen? Amen. Amen. And enjoyable. Yeah, up next, <laughs> our fun. panel and our guests will share their final thoughts on being awake, not woke. Stay with us. It's a trend on social media for women to take videos of them going to their abortion appointments. And afterwards, they feign excitement and happiness and relief after killing their child. And I believe that that is the woke culture in an essence lying to women, especially young women, that abortion is necessary to be successful, to be happy, and to have a good life. But unfortunately, that is a lie from the devil. Abortion is always evil. Sometimes when we disagree with people, uh, we either want to shy away with them or from them, or either we just want to, uh, when we're with them, focus just on what we disagree about. Ultimately, we need to just treat them like another human being that's, you know, actually worthy of being seen and loved. We need to ask them about their interests. We need to try to get to know them, learn about them, treat them like somebody who's worth getting to know and worth loving. And that will give us the foundation to then go deeper and try to discuss more difficult issues. There is a place where education begins, and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our last segment. So Regis, if you would kick us off. Yeah, uh, I was really struck by one uh, uh, accusation you made, this indictment, which I think is pretty solid. It's spot on, that what wokeism really is about is an assault, an affront uh, upon the word, the Logos mm -hmm. tradition, that words signify, they mean something. And we are in the midst of a crisis of meaning. Uh, words don't mean what, what we arbitrarily assign them to mean, and they're not changeable. They're not uh, subject to the flux of, uh, of opinion or politics. They have a stable, enduring uh, value. Uh, because in the beginning was the word. And I think the woke people want to uh, uproot that, uh, destroy it, and replace it with power, the triumph of the will at the expense of the word. You, you quote Leon Cass uh, several times, uh, who speaks of language as uh, the inner reality uh, of, uh, of people. This is who we are. Our language reveals who we are, our deepest values and, and concerns. And if you can change the language, uh, then you can change the conversation. You can so subvert it that people no longer know who they are or what they're supposed to say uh, to someone else. And that's really terrifying. I mean, that moves us into uh, 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 1984. Mm. I mean, Orwell uh, was really a master at describing this, the triumph of newspeak. You know, freedom is slavery, truth is falsehood, love is hatred, and they have these hate sessions where people simply scream for several hours to get it out of their system. It becomes a kind of purgative. And Orwell predicted that, that 
Linguistic corruption always comes before political corruption. If you can change the meaning of the words, then you can change the whole landscape of human life, and that includes the political dimension. Who gets power to do what to whom? And that is scary. Yes. And a book like yours, I mean, it's not gonna change the world, but if the world is gonna be changed, books like yours will need to, uh, to be read uh, and studied. And so I commend you for having written this book. Uh, it's really a, a marvelous piece of work. Thank you. Thank you, Remus. Yeah. Scott. My favorite quote from the Jewish intellectual, Leon Cass, is where he highlights the notion of covenant. No surprise I there. Didn't see that yeah. But I mean, I could speak of my relationship with Kimberly as cohabiting. We share the same bed, the same residence, phone number, you know, and we have a friendship. But until we capture the notion of covenant, and the heart of that is sacrament, then, you know, words are just floating about. You know, suddenly we find the word that explains everything else. But it also shows us that the word, the logos, the truth, has a content, and that is love. You know, the head and the heart, that's how Pope Pius XI explained the relationship of the, of the, the man and the woman mm -hmm. in Ephesians 5. That the man has primus in the order of authority, the woman has primus in the order of love. Mm -hmm. Well, which is, well, they're not equal. I mean, love is what it's all about. And authority needs to be a means to that end. And so I think husbands in particular have got to wake up to the deep wisdom that their wife has as their vocation as their charism. And when you realize that they, you know, I'm intelligent, she's wise. I know the right answer. She knows the right time, the right way to say it. You know, when Kimberly and I were with you and Adam, we could see ourselves. We were talking about this after the Jordan Peterson event. It was just like, you clearly enjoy each other. You also think and talk, but you're different, you know? And I think the more you raise those six kids, the more you work on Theology of Home with Carrie Gress, the third volume is coming out. I hope people get that. Uh, but I really want to encourage not only you and Adam to enjoy marriage and family, but for other people to enjoy the work that you're doing. Like Regis, I really believe that this work won't change the world, but if the world changes, it's going to be the contributions that you and Carrie and Adam and your kids are going to be making too. So glory to God, not to us, O Lord, mm. but to your name be the glory. I don't want to flatter, but I do want to yeah. emphasize. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Scott. Yeah. No, your final thoughts. Yeah, no, I loved hearing both of you. And I think the key word right now is identity. And I was thinking and reflecting about the, you know, what I, I, I think is happening in the movement. It's, it's trying to redefine us in three particular ways. By emphasizing victim culture, we have to find people to accuse. In or, we only sustain our victimhood if we have perpetrators that we can identify. So we become accusers. Second, we have to transgress the moral law in order to liberate ourselves. And we define ourselves then by that identity. LGBTQ is defining us by our transgression, that that becomes our identity. We're call, called by our sin. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, power over authority, rejection of authority, it's a non-servium. Right. And these are the three yeah. attributes of the characteristics of the devil, the, the accuser, calling us by our sins, not by our name, and then the non-refusal to serve. And I think that really distilled for me, this is a, such a spiritual battle. Yes. Um, and, and we have the opposite. We can say, I don't call you by your sin, but I call you by your name. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think naming is so important. Um, and that's what people want. Um, and, and true that we, we, we find harmony through service, through the, through the servium. That, that is what, what love demands of us, and that's an, uh, the road to true freedom. 
And then finally, we, we, we find freedom not by accusing, but by examining. This, the church invites us in the self-examination, in the examination of conscience and confession, to look, look not outward, but to see, look inward. And that's how we take up responsibility, find meaning, and find real change and real improvement in our relationships in our lives. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Uh, we have an article available to you on today's topic. Uh, if you go, it's by Noel that you wrote for uh, Register? National Catholic, National Catholic Register. So uh, if the title of the article is Woke Catholic Schools Offer a Position in, of, Offer Poison in Place of the Gospel, this handout is available to you free for simply going to faithandreason.com or calling the number you'll see on the screen momentarily. Um, this is a, a scary thought, but Regis, you and I were thinking about the same thing, <laughs> which this might be a first. So, yeah. Yeah. but I was, I, when I was a student here, I had a course, and one of the things that they shared was that all social engineering is preceded by verbal engineering. Yeah. And if we can begin to change the words, I mean, yeah. we're living in a world that a Supreme Court justice can't define what a woman is because she says that she's not a biologist. And, and if those basic fundamental things that always meant something don't mean something, you have ultimately what I've been reflecting on in this conversation is chaos. Right. Is that we live in a world that, that, that is chaotic. There, there aren't boundaries, there's nothing stable. Um, everything is, is being mixed up. And when you feel that way, you wanna grab onto something. And if somebody offers you something that says, well here, grab onto this in, in whatever the woke ideology that they wanna offer, we, we wanna be able to grab it. We want something to, to be stable. And, and it's it just, as we were talking this morning, this image I had was chaos. And, and in the midst of the chaos, the word becomes flesh. And just as we, as we were talking, the, this, this chaotic thing and the Lord placing his hand and being present and just bringing order to this. And this is obviously what happens in the incarnation, but it's also what I'm praying in the midst of this, that we have got profound, it's just chaos. But your family and your family and your family, and I believe what we're doing at the university is, is trying to bring order to this, a place that's safe, a place that's um, reasonable, a place that's anointed, a place that's animated by grace, and we live in a world that desperately longs for that. And I thank you, I, 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 is this world, is this book gonna change the world? I think maybe uh, one heart at a time it will. And, and ultimately that's how we're gonna bring about change. So I just wanna be able to thank you for this and, and suspect that this is a conversation that we need to have again and, and more about because the need is so great and the reality is, and you've all mentioned this, it's a spiritual battle and the prize is, is the soul. The prize is a human person. The prize is, is a child and, and we've <coughs> got to be able to engage that world. So thank you so much and thank you for being with us. Thank you, it's been so great being here. We pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing to be upon our people, upon our culture. I pray your blessing upon all those who are listening to this and viewing this program today, uh, their children, their children's children. Lord, bring your grace, bring your peace, bring your order, bring your truth. May Almighty God pour his blessings on you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Download a free handout on today's topic at faithandreason.com, where you can also watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents. Or... Request the handout by emailing us at presents at franciscan.edu or reach us by phone for today's handout by calling 800-783-6447. That's 800-783-6447.